This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very of all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. If there's something I need, I don't already have. I know I'll get it from a good friend. If there's something I need, Hi, everybody. It's Jamie Lee Curtis, and you're listening to the Good Friend Podcast, presented to you by iHeartRadio. It's a podcast about friendship. We talk about everything. We cry, we laugh, we think about what it really means to be a good friend. And I have conversations with some of my best friends, some people I've never met and sort of everything in between. So I hope by the end of it that you have a really good sense of what friendship means to me and the people that I consider friends. And I hope you can take those same ideas into your own friendship groups. And I hope you enjoy it. This thing is going already, babe. We are like... No, no, no. That's how that's how we roll here at the Good Friend Podcast. Is I that's my gotcha moment. Of course, you're a minute early. Of course. Oh wow! Was that a little friend snarkness? No, about- not not a one whit of snark. So let's just ask that question about timeliness, because um, my our guest, our the community of the ears who listen to our Good Friend podcast. Um, our guest today is Deborah Ann Oppenheimer, um, a very close friend of mine for a very long time. But um, uh, the, I guess the question is just first off, like, does that bother you that I'm super early? And be honest, this is like the moment to like completely like tell the truth. No, it doesn't bother me at all that you're super early. It's just something you have to know about you, that if you say you're doing a dinner party at 7, you're going to be there at 6.30. If we're doing this podcast at 1, it's not going to start at 1. It's going to start before 1, and we have to be ready. Before, but it's exactly one now. I was going to say, according to... I'll to, give you that. But I knew in planning <laughs> with you that I should try early. I wasn't quite as early as I would have liked to have been. But you just know that about you. Okay. But but isn't that friendship? Isn't that basically the whole thing? Is like you know that about that person? So, And what I would like to say about that is that 
what I love about our friendship is that I know you and you know me. And to know you means among many, many, many other things, which I can disclose or not, one has to know you're going, you're early. You are punctual and you're more than punctual. You're early. And I don't have a this. Why would anybody have a problem with that? Well, I think some people do have a problem with it, honestly. And I, I'm going to say in my defense, again, since it is my podcast and I control the universe, um, I will say that I, I don't believe if you call something for 7, I'm there at 6.30. 6.30, I understand, is a little early. Quarter to 7, uh, put it this way, I will be in my car in front of your house at 6.30, but I might not ring the doorbell until 6.45. I think, I, I think 15 minutes till showtime, it, most people have put their clothes on and are ready, are doing the final lighting of the candles, which I usually offer to help to do. Um, the minute you said to know you is to love you is the way friendship works. It makes that song. Isn't there a song to know, know, no, know no, you no, is to, no. yeah, is to love, 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 love you. But see, I would also And say I do. If, if, <laughs> but if you come early and if you get my seam right or double check how my hair falls or or if if my something is on straight then you would do that so then great you're a helper when you show up early yes i don't by the way i'm not the type of person for those of you who are listening who are going to invite me now over I'm going to get random invitations. Um, I I do show up with an intention to help yeah. my hostess or host make make it a successful gathering. I will grab food plates. I will pour almonds out of the can into the beautiful bowl you brought back from Africa and make it look like it's something beautiful. I will certainly lean into that. And... If somehow, miraculously, nothing needs to be done, you don't need attention. You come early, you're there, and you're not while I or whoever is running around bustling trying to get ready. You're not needy and demanding. So that's a really good – let's start there. That's see, I knew we would find our, our doorway into friendship because – I think that's a really important conversation, and I'm sure our listeners um, will be nodding at this moment because there are friends who take up a lot of space and are super, super needy um, for whatever reason, for whatever their psychological makeup is. And... That's not been our relationship. I feel like it's a really mutual showing up, suiting up, showing up, helping, leaning into the help versus the pay attention to me, pay attention to me. But I'm sure you have friends that are the other way and bring charm and wonderfulness to that part of the friendship. I think that's another thing about knowing you, which is that you completely, thoroughly come through if I need you, but I don't think your threshold or mine for neediness, that's not a quality we look for <laughs> in a friend. And, and I think that there's a whole other complexity to that because I think we both do work on ourselves and look inward and that being needy is something we have feelings about. And so we wouldn't eat, we would have a conscience at a, at a time where we are needy and might need something from each other. We have a perspective about that and a threshold for that, that we both tolerate and come through for, and then also place limits on. That sounds like the most healthy relationship 
I've ever heard described about friendship. Seriously. I want to talk about an aspect of our friendship that that is what I love about our friendship. If I can take over here for a moment. Wow. Well, let me just let people know what you do, because then you'll understand why you just took over my podcast. Um, <laughs> so um, I met Deborah Ann Oppenheimer through my husband, Christopher. Two friends of his became very, very close friends of mine um, through that relationship, through Chris as the portal, one of whom is Deborah Ann Oppenheimer. And Deb uh, uh, produces, so there you understand now why she took over my podcast. Uh, she produces, she's the boss um, of a lot of people. She does a lot of television um, and has done a lot of television in the past. Um, and also, and we will way get into that in a minute, um, also on her own, under her own um, internal drive, made took the story of her mother, who was one of the kinder transport um, children, uh, one of the 10,000 Jewish children allowed to leave Germany um, unaccompanied. Her mother, who ended up coming to America, her story was, um, after she died, uh, Deborah picked up and uh, took all the way through making an incredibly powerful documentary called Into the Arms of Strangers, Stories of the Kinder Transport, which won an Oscar that year at the Academy Awards. Now, I've told Deb this many, many times. I know a lot of people in show-off business. I am friends with a lot of people in show-off business. And except for a recent friendship, I have never known anyone who won an Oscar. And here, my bestie who I've known since I met Chris, so we're a 36-year friendship, through all her own initiative and passion and dedication, um, took that story all the way to the, the highest point that our industry offers. Um, and expanded that history through books and education and more and more. So this is a woman who is formidable, which is why she took over my Instagram, I mean, my uh, podcast. I, I, I do everything, by the way. I do Instagram, I do podcasting, I do, I do it all. Um, so anyway, now that I've introduced you properly so that people now understand why you hijacked my personal podcast called Good Friend, why you can now say whatever you want. <laughs> um, so first of all, I came with props, not that anybody can see it. Wow, there it is. Okay, so Deborah Ann Oppenheimer just brought out the Oscar, which I remind her <laughs> often when she is feeling down about, um, oh, and by the way, we will discuss also the uh, fantastic documentary she made called Foster, about the foster care system. And, uh, but I do remind her when, when the chips are down or when she's feeling a little blue, I do say, <laughs> you're the only person I know with an Oscar. Please just go hold the Oscar for like a second. Just kind of get that energy off of it and remind yourself that um, you can do anything. Um, so anyway, what were you trying to say about our friendship? I was going to say that... You probably have, Do you have notes? I do. <gasps> okay. The, the other thing you need to know <laughs> about Deborah Ann Oppenheimer, and I'm saying this, I'm now that people are going to want to find you. I'm sure there's ways to track her down. I'm not going to tell you how. Um, as I've told all of my guests, I am not selling things here. So yours is actually the only time I've used anyone's credit of what they've done or how they've you know, change their life, but it's such an integral part of our friendship for me to be your cheerleader as you've done that, that I, I felt it was an appropriate place to, to drop my selling of, you know, movies and, and, and documentaries. But the thing you have to know, listeners, Deborah Ann Oppenheimer takes copious notes, and I say copious, I mean copious, minuscule, tiny writing on these myriad um, surfaces, pads, notebooks, 
Um, and if let's just say you, the healthy listener, is we're past COVID, you've gotten your vaccines, and you want to go to Paris, and you need a bra in Paris, Deborah Ann Oppenheimer will say to you, oh, you're going to Paris? Oh, you need a bra? Okay, I want you to call Martine. Here's her number. She works at the Fogal Boutique on the Rue Saint-Honoré, and she, this is her personal mobile. I also have her mother's email. This is who Deborah is. Deborah is a researcher. Deborah is someone who is thorough and planned. I believe twice she asked me what we were going to discuss here today. And I kept saying, friendship. <laughs> she was like, yeah, about like what part of friendship? I'm like, friendship. So anyway, uh, you do have notes. Please use your notes right now and tell me what you your notes read, because I love you for it. By the way, it's why there's a golden statue at your feet right now, because of that thorough, dogmatic mind meld of data and information and the storage of that and the, the, the train that that leads you to. Sorry. So I don't I will let you speak. I don't know this little detail by heart, but I have a note about it. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> In my telephone, which was that you came to New York when Chris was on Saturday Night Live in September of 1984. And you were at the Thread Building where you rent and I don't remember anything about my life. You were at the Thread Building. I come home every year. I'm from New York. I come home every year for Thanksgiving. It's a holiday I love and never miss. And so probably if you came to join him in September 84, I'm guessing that Thanksgiving of 84, so it's actually 37 years, mm -hmm. um, I came, walked into that apartment, and it was instantaneous. There was some connection between us, which does not always happen for me, and I'm sure it doesn't always happen for you, that was absolutely instantaneous. And what I love about a friendship, which isn't always the case, but it is in our case, that we've known each other for 37 years. And so we have evolved, we've changed, we've grown, we've gone through ups, we've gone through downs, we've gone through transitions. And if, if by some fantastic stroke of fortune, your friendship withstands those 37 years, and you still have similar values and similar um, interests, if, if that friendship can stand up through all of that, it has such depth and it is such a gift. It, it's so incredibly rewarding. I remember when somebody said to me, well, you may discard some friendships. You may part ways with people. And I thought, oh, no, 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 not me. And come to discover, oh, yeah, <laughs> me. <laughs> that does happen. But in our case, we've been together for all this time. And I treasure you. I value you. And I love that we're still friends. And Certainly no end in sight to any of that. No expiration date. We'll be right back with more Good Friend after this quick break, so stick around. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. 
Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Doc Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. So... I'm going to correct you about one thing, which I promise if I don't correct you, (laughs) we will get letters, Heart Radio, you know, slash good friend podcast, slash Dylan Fagan producer. Um, We will get letters. Thanksgiving is in November. What did I say? September. No, I said you, uh, what I meant, excuse me, our birthdays are right around Thanksgiving. I understand. What I meant was that you came to New York in September. I always come home in November for Thanksgiving. So two months after you arrived in New York was probably when I came and met you. Okay. Again, I'm going to disabuse you of only one thing. I was only, as you remember, I only knew Christopher Guest. I had never spent more than three days consecutive, consecutively with him before we married. That I mean, we spent a couple, three oh, days. So you think it was after 84? No, I'm saying that I came there in September right. to visit him. We met at the Thread Building. I remember meeting you. Um, I remember that meeting very well. And then I went back to California because I was in the middle of shooting Perfect, which started August 15th and was quite, it it didn't actually end until we got married, which was in December. So I was shooting during that period of time. So that was my only, I just, the math didn't add up. And you know me, I am dogmatic about my math. Um, But I I will, I want to echo everything you've just said. The first thing I want to echo and explore a little bit is letting go of friendships. I think, you know, when I, quote, pitched this show, when I had the idea uh, based on the song Good Friend by Emily King, when I heard that song and I thought about good friends and the joy of my friendships, you know, some of the pain of my friendships also popped into my head. And, you know, friendships are living things. They they exist in a living format. It has to be. It's like you said, you change, you grow, you expand, you contract. It's elastic. It's moving. It is, it is a living entity. It is not rigid and calcified. And I get concerned that relationships do get calcified. They get so locked in to the way that you do things with that friend, that that starts to feel like a calcification, like something hardened around you. And then you feel the guilt 
of what if I want to break this shell that is now surrounding this friendship? It feels stagnant. There is stagnation in friendships. And I think you hit on that beautifully, which is that there are people. I don't think it's a conscious, like, I'm trying to say F you to that person or I'm, I no longer care about you. I do think you can grow apart from a friend and still look back and say that friendship had such tremendous value and import, import, not value because it's not, it's import. Mm-hmm. The import in my DNA of who I am, some came from that relationship, and yet it no longer is part of my life. And I've had guilt about it and and great sadness about letting go of those friendships. But the truth is, <laughs> they're not in my mind. And for whatever reason, and I feel terrible about it sometimes, or we'll run into each other and there's that moment of like, hi, 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 you know, high voices, you know, a lot of like that, that energy that happens when you haven't seen someone. And there's always the promise of the connection again. Okay. Yeah. And we'll sit. And I, I, I've tried now to say, I, I don't know. I hope so. But if not, no, that that time was important to me. And I think that's, do you have that experience? Yeah, yeah, that there's an association with a particular point in time. You may have a great fondness for or affection for the person, but you've grown on different tracks. And for whatever reason, I and I I don't only, I know I use the word discard because that's what this person said to me. I don't mean that you're discarding them, but you've grown apart for whatever reason. And um, and so you don't sustain each other anymore. And that was a maturation for me to understand, oh, okay, that I that's that happens and that's okay. My contrast to it is when that doesn't happen and you grow on parallel tracks. I mean, you and I are different in certain ways, but where we are in common and what we have in common and what's most important to us, you know, that is a great thing when you share that with a friend. Or you might have one very specific thing that you share with a friend and they're in that sphere. They're not in a lot of spheres or all spheres, but they're in one particular arena. And when you're doing that or thinking about that or focused on that or engaged in that, then you you may be back in touch with that person again. You know, I, I find that exactly it, it, it's funny, the minute you, when you were talking, I was thinking about people and I was thinking, oh, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly how it is with so-and-so. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I, <laughs> I, uh, this is a podcast called Good Friend. It's a conversation about friendship. Some friends of mine, some strangers, some people I have, you know, met once. Um, uh, I, I did an interview uh, with Lena Dunham, and we've never physically met, but we are fond of each other. So, obviously, but at the same time, I want to be really mindful, and I have to put this, Dylan, we need to put this in our thinking caps, because I want to make sure that friends of mine <laughs> don't listen to this, and then they're trying to figure out <laughs> who they are and me talking about, well, you know, that person. I have to be really mindful. Um, uh, it just popped in my mind that people who know me might listen in and, and then feel hurt that somehow maybe that I was talking about them and I'm not. Um, so whoever is listening and you know me and you think I just said something about you, that is not the truth. Well, the other great thing about friendship is that you can meet a a person for a moment and you click and you connect. And for that, moment in time, you're crazy about that person. You love that person. And it's, you know, lightning in a bottle. It's fireflies. It doesn't continue, but it's no less genuine for whatever you connected on. 
and however fleeting that it was and that that has value too in terms of enriching your life and making your day. Uh, I think both Deborah and I are in show-off business or have been for a long, long time. And I think you have that on, um, you know, you've heard people talk about movie crews and TV crews. These are technicians often, or they are a group of actors and technicians and writers and producers, and they come together to make something. That's the goal. And you have people who operate the camera. You have people who hold the microphone the boom pole, you have wardrobe people, you have obviously hair and makeup people, and then you have the whole writing staff and the production staff and um, the executives. And it is such a collaborative effort. And there are so many people that we work with in show-off business um, that we make those instantaneous bonds with that carry it through the project. And then because we're all adults and we know that we're all going to the next one, we separate that bond, but it remains perfect. It does not leak. It's not sort of bleeding out and it's a little shell of itself. It's complete. And when you reconnect, it's as if you haven't ever separated. So um, when I was at the cinema photographers guild awards and i ran in to a camera operator named dave i won't say his last name just in case um privacy rise but i you know it's just weird i have careful i'm on a podcast i'm talking to you know potentially people all over the world anyway i had gone down the amazon on a guinness book of world records tv show um, that I hosted along with David Frost. David Frost went to Europe in a Rolls Royce. You know, he went to Austria and England, and, you know, he drove around in a Rolls Royce and did his narration of these, you know, Guinness record breakers there. And I went <laughs> down the Amazon in a boat. I mean, I we went to South America and small little crew, and Dave was one of those people. And I hadn't really seen him again except at the Academy Awards a couple times because he always works. But my memories and the connection to Dave, and I was young, I was single, I was surrounded by this small little guerrilla group of filmmakers, and we were literally on the top of Angel Falls, um, 3,212 feet, I had to narrate. I remember it forever. Um, but that relationship, when I saw him at the Cinematographer's Guild, it was as if I hadn't not seen him since I was 19 years old. It was like that. And that's exactly what you're talking about. You have that thing, and I haven't thought about Dave again, but the minute and I saw there, him. There you are. You just gave him a couple of minutes on your podcast. But it's that's the point, yeah. is that that's the great value of of real relationships in their complete 100% open, wide open, you know, uh, leaning into each other, collaborating, helping each other get to that final goal. I think that happens in sales, in sales team and marketing. You know, you do have that in businesses where you have teamwork and you feel that way and then you move on. But the thing that has always sort of grounded me with you is your expansion, is, the, is your dedication to your family, um, not something I was raised with, you know, a, a somewhat disparate group of people, all connected through some biology and yet fairly disconnected, loving each other, but disconnected. You have a very close-knit family. You have a very um, strong bond with your family. You have a huge dedication to the past and to the history of your family. And when your mom died and your father handed you some letters that were in the closet somewhere? Hidden in a drawer. Hidden in a drawer. And he said, you're the sort of what does he say? You're sentimental. You're the sentimental one. Maybe you want the <laughs> right. And what 
what value are these? But, oh, you're sentimental. You may want to look at these letters. Right. And they were in German in that tiny little writing on those onion skin papers. And it's the beginning of this, the movie that you made about your mother and her story. And the friendships um, made along the way between you and your partner, Mark, and um, your editor. Documentary partner. Oh, sorry. See, that's what happens. That's why she's a producer, everyone. <laughs> yes, I understand. Sorry, I forgot that the word partner has many meanings. Yes, your documentary partner, Mark Harris. Um, uh, your uh, editor, Kate Ament. Um, there's that connection and the power of that, but also in really the power of investigation. This young woman, my friend Debbie, who was a, you know, produced sitcoms, produced multicam sitcoms with very funny people, Drew Carey and Wanda Sykes and, you know, a wonderful writer, Bruce Helford, all of which was really the, the cornerstone of your professional life. And yet the heart of this woman um, took those letters, sent them to an aunt. She translated them. And what began was this investigation of what happened to your mom when she was put on a train along with 10, well, not in that moment, but, you know, a, a one of 10,000 Jewish children who were allowed to leave Germany before they stopped that pro was, did it stop at Kristallnacht? No, Kristallnacht is what precipitated it. And just so everybody understands, because of something you said before, these are kids who escaped Germany, Austria, Czechoslovakia, and the free state of Danzig, um, and went to Great Britain. And they went to strangers for an indeterminate amount of time by, and were sent by their parents who had no idea where they were sending them or what would befall them. And the thing that brought the kinder transport to an end, and it was 10,000 Jewish and other children, was the outbreak of war. So war broke out and the doors closed. And so there was... That, that was why it was capped at almost 10,000 children. So um, I just want to say, for, with you coming out of that family that you had and the, the nature of that family and there was divorce in your family and big careers and all of that, and my family was this small town suburban, you know, escaped refugees from Germany, you developed a relationship with my parents and particularly with my father. But the idea, I mean, the, the first, I, I knew both of your parents. I had met both of your parents. I know your sister. The first deceased body I saw was your mother's because your mother had died. And I called the house and Chris told me that your mom had just died. And I said, where are, where is she? And he told me you were at the house. And I, in my notes, had the phone number and the address of your mother's house. And I just went there. Because having you as a friend means you're also taught how to be a friend. And it's very reciprocal. And so I showed up exactly in the way that you showed up. That surreal moment when someone has died. And... You know, there's nothing to do, really. It's a, it's a it's a really strange moment because the struggle is over. The aid and comfort giving is over in that moment. And I remember sort of a couple phone calls had been made and some arrangements were being made and people were coming. And all of a sudden there you were. And you didn't say a word. You bore witness to that moment 
You didn't inject yourself on any level. You reached your hand out. You held my hand. And we stood there. Now, you know, I it's something that happened today with a friend of mine who is struggling with a child who's having a hard time and, and they keep saying they're trying to think of the right words or actions or deeds to do or say. And I suggested that they listen to something um, on NPR um, that was done called This I Believe. And it's a woman named Debbie Hall who talks about the power of presence, of simple bearing witness in without any deed, word, action, gesture, just presence in another person's moment. And you did that. And obviously I will never forget that moment because it, it was the purity of it. You didn't, you know me, I would, I think if it was reversed in that moment, I would be trying to do something and you didn't, you just knew to stand there in silence and honor what had just occurred 10 minutes, 15 minutes before, an hour before, whatever, I don't even remember, but that was a, a moment. And it goes back to that same honoring that I just was talking about. Um. And very much thank you for correcting me about, about I want to obviously make sure that people understand exactly what was happening or uh, to the best degree that they can um, in Nazi Germany. Um, and, and of course they escaped. But I'm, when I said that they allowed, the German government did allow unaccompanied children to be put on trains to leave Germany for a period of time. And now any listener here who has a child, if you can imagine taking that child to a train station and putting a sign around their neck with their name. Not a name. Not a name, a number. And that you didn't know really where they were going. They didn't know where they were going. And there was a very, very, very clear possibility that you might not ever see them again. That's what the kinder transport was. That's what the letters started to illuminate for Deb, was the story of her mother and the sacrifice of her, of her grandparents. And the profound gesture of love to give her that chance. Um, and Deb's involvement from the beginning, tracking down so many of the survivors, so many of the kinder transport, um, getting it produced, getting it filmed, you know, finding the people. Um, obviously, people were also quite old. And so the possibility, you know, it needed to get done. There was urgency here. There were very ill, older people involved. This, this was a, a, a very delicate undertaking. And the research that Deb did the depth of research. I joke about, you know, Martine at Fogal in, in Paris, but imagine that every single one of these people and the, the labyrinth of names and people connected to each one of those survivors, each one of those kinder, Deb found and connected to and made contact, loving contact. Deb even found the woman they ended up... Um, just to explain to the listeners just sort of where your mom ended up in the in the place that she ended up 
I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to get back to talking about friendship because I love talking about my mood. But there is, but there is something, but this is where I'm going to trust me here. Lady with the lists. Trust me. I have, I have, I'm, I'm aiming for it. So through some insane coincidence and serendipity, I did find um, a bunch of girls who lived with my mother, one of whom shared a bed with my mother um, a mattress that was stuffed with twigs and leaves and they had to like mold it into shape and uh, at where they lived in the, ultimately in the attic servants quarters of a baronet and a lady in the countryside went for two and a half years when these kind people, um, whose name I won't mention right now, oh, of course, privacy, um, took them in, although they deserve all this recognition, who took them in and sheltered them you know, put a roof over their head and they were in the attic servants quarters. You came up with the title of that project already, the girls in the attic. But yeah, I, I, through great serendipity, I found, because the point of all of this was that my mother never would tell her story. So it was with her passing and the discovery of these letters that led me to, but you can draw your arrows to this, but I want to say two things about this. So you've already acknowledged that I had an Oscar on the day of the Oscars, which is a very stressful day because by this time, the lead up, you know, there's so much hoopla and I needed to have my head on straight and um, didn't want to get caught up in that, particularly because of the nature of the material. I asked my family as close as I am to them. I didn't have a big house and I asked everybody to stay in a hotel. They were able to come out here. Warner Brothers got tickets for all of them to come to the Oscars, which was amazing. The only person who, other than the people, makeup and hair, but we won't talk about all of that, who came to my house on that day, who felt safe and trustworthy for me to have around when I was anxious and scared and in unknown circumstances was this person who I'm speaking to right now. And you came, Jamie, you're a fantastic, fantastic photographer. And you came with your camera. And because I'm so at ease with you and so comfortable with you, I should say that some of the best pictures that have ever been taken of me are by you. And you came and documented that day, which I I love having. I love having documented the day of my, you know, Oscar nomination and subsequent win. And then, as if that weren't enough, you put it together in this wonderful book, which I also have here by my side as one of my props. And you made those photos and gave me extra copies of them and put them in a beautiful album. And so you became, you know, again, we're talking about who was there for special moments in your life. And, you know, it may have been your mom's passing and, you know, something as painful and sad and deep as that. And it may have been one of the greatest days of my life where you came and you documented and memorialized that for me. We'll be right back with more Good Friend after this quick break. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals. It was automatic art. You know, I had to, like, choose a more challenging route than just, like, da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like, it could have been, like, easier. And a lot of people have asked me, like, 
how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in, so you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. For the listener, I used to exclusively use a Leica M6, which is a very quiet little film camera. So it's not like a big intrusive camera. And I, I've, I have learned from some of the best, Diana Walker being one of them, how to blend into the scenery and wait for the light, really. So I was able to, again, semi-wordlessly show up um, at your house that day um, and not in, in, uh, insert myself anywhere in your... And there was a moment where you said, I need time, and you went into your bedroom uh, before you put your dress on. You were wearing that robe, which I won't describe, but I think you guys know if I called it that robe what it looked like. And you sat on the settee that had green velvet stripes going down it. I remember it so well. And you looked at the albums of photographs that you had put together. These books, trans, transcripts of interviews with, with some of the people in the movie. To ground yourself remembering that, yes, you were getting ready to go to the Oscars and all, as you said, the hoopla, the, the, the shiny part of our industry. And yet you were grounding yourself in why you were going. What was the real import? If you won, what was the import? It wasn't a personal import. It was the amount of um, illumination that you were going to get to give to that story, to your mother, to the survivors, to the Holocaust as a whole, the voice, the chorus of disapproval, the chorus of outrage, and the miraculous saving of these, these people who are in the movie. And I'm just remembering, in, so you have this whole collection of photos that you took, and you had your camera on your TV screen for the moment. Cast. And you took a photo of me going up on the stage, of me, of the announcement. Mm -hmm. So I was still in my seat and my father and my sister were seated behind me and my sister was wiping a tear away from her eyes. And you snapped a photo that also went into this photo album and something weird happened in the camera. And there was this void that looked like a light was shining on it mm -hmm. we both decided to interpret that as my mother looking down on me I should also say that you offered me one million dollars if I were to win to get up on that stage and to say my mother would want me to tell you that I'm single <laughs>
I, I believe if I had done that, you actually would have given me $1 million. Well, I would have given it to Children's Hospital Los Angeles for sure. And I didn't have the guts. I didn't have the guts to just get up there and say, my friend, Jamie Lee Fitness, said that. <laughs> and and instead, not only did I not have the nerve to say that, I wanted to thank Bruce Helford, who was my business partner at the time. And I said, I want to thank my partner. And it's the reason <laughs> I just corrected you. Thank you. Because everybody thought that I was correct, was thanking my romantic partner. And then the next day you happened to be on Jay Leno and you told them that you had wanted me to say that. And so in effect, you conveyed the message and I tried to say there were no takers, but... Well. Um, so where I was going was the connections that your mom made, that the connections that your mom made when living with all these young women away from her parents is sort of the nature of the friendship that we've been talking about, that that moment in their lives, that moment of being away from their families before they started their adult lives, where they, you found the woman who shared the bed with her, where we can only assume what that really was. I know that you have some knowledge of what that felt like to be with someone, to, to be able to share those intimacies. And I'm obviously not here to talk about those intimacies it's the where i was heading was that your example through your mother has been such an example of friendship and um obviously your mom came to america and married and, and you know didn't stay in touch with a single well but she also didn't talk to you the three children about it because it she defied the holocaust and the nazis she defied them by coming here and m having a family and raising these three beautiful kids and it was her way of saying i am not defined by you i am not going to let you rule my life and yet she didn't talk about it, and she didn't share that with you, and she didn't, as you say, keep in contact with people. It was then how they got through and how she got through, and the movie that you made is such a is such an honor to to the human spirit to just being able to survive and continue on in your life. And I knew your mom, and. I know that reserve and that strength in her, um, and it's in you, and um, you know it's very, it's, it's very powerful, Deb. It's a very powerful. Um, it's a very powerful. Um, I also want to talk about Patrick for a minute, um, because you know the show is called Good Friend, and um, Patrick. Um, was a young man in an orphanage in California. And my friend Deb volunteered her time as a reader um, at an orphanage to help kids read books um, and made a special connection with this young man, became his special friend, which was something that you had to earn, you had to be cleared. There were tons of hoops to jump through to establish yourself as a person of substance and seriousness. And it allowed you to then uh, take that relationship and expand it and be able to help and take him out and be able to expand it. And it, it for the listener, it went all the way through that young man was adopted by a family along with his brother, if I'm not mistaken, and um, lived with them happily, you know, found a family, was part of a family. And, but when Patrick enlisted in the army 
Marines. The Marines. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I know. I know. Semper Fi, Semper Fi, Semper Fi, everybody. Bob Brandt, my stepfather, Semper Fi. He was a Marine. Trust me. That's why I'm as rule following. My stepfather was a Marine. Sorry. Forgive me, Patrick, who's listening, going like, Jame, really? The Army? Come on. Anyway, um, when he joined the Marine Corps, um, my friend Deb was the one who drove him to his induction. Um, my friend Deb um, stayed, you know, has stayed with him his whole life. And, and when he shipped off to Iraq, I saw him off. He was frightened. He was really frightened. It was one of the only times in my life I saw him cry. And who sent him letters and packages in Iraq? Jamie, okay. and who marked his birthday, who has a completely independent friendship with him, but you. I mean, he talks to him. You respond okay. more to his posts than I do. I, I love Patrick. I know you do. And I respected what he was doing. And I kept his picture as my screensaver until he came home. Yeah. Um, so that I would look at him every day and thank him for his service. But yeah. I'm, but I'm, I'm talking about friendship. This is a show called Good Friend. Yes, but look at that triangle of friendship. And I, I would say it's a quadrangle because as recently as yesterday. Yes, you, I know. I know. I know. This, everybody listening, if I... If you remember at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned that she was a little bossy <laughs> and that she came with a list and um, props and her Oscar and the notebook of pictures. But I'm going to interrupt her now and I'm going to make her just listen to me. What makes a good friend at the core of it is trust. And you earned his trust. And you earned his trust all the way through in all of the areas that you have suited up and shown up for him and he for you. And even though that is a relationship in, in many ways, he is your child. Many of us refer to him as your son, even though that is not the way the world calls him. But you are his friend, and I wouldn't have been able to finish a podcast about friendship except to say to people, you need to look at that example. Here was a woman, a single woman in Los Angeles, who befriended a young African-American kid in an orphanage. 27 years ago. 27 years. 27 years ago. And it has become as significant a relationship and friendship that it, it, it will prove to be probably the most significant friendship you will ever have in your life, Deb. And it is, the, it is not the only reason. I have also been the recipient of your incredible friendship. But it's a really important thing to remember that friendship comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes. And your example, both with your mother and the movies, and we haven't even gotten into the foster care, which we won't have time for, and your personal relationship with Patrick and your friendship with him and my friendship with him through you is one of the most satisfying most life-affirming relationships I have. And it is why I was so happy that you agreed to come here and share your lists and your funny way of absolutely suiting up and showing up in your complete way. But it's why this podcast is good, because of people like you. And I am honored to call you my friend, and to have shared so many things with you. And I only look for the more that we can. And as we have come to the end of our podcast, 
you need to know that you are a good friend, Deborah Ann Oppenheimer, and I love you with all of my heart. Well, I adore you, Jamie. And when you asked me to do this, I thought, oh, this is something I would really enjoy discussing with her because you've made me a better friend to you and to other people in my life. You've, you know, modeling, you know, setting an example. How great is that to have in your life? And so I thank you for inviting me and I've, en I've enjoyed so much See, it's this conversation with you. Well, that's how it goes. Everybody who's listening, stay safe out there. You know, be good to each other and... Um, Hopefully you'll listen up another time, another place. Be well, be safe. God bless you all. Good Friend is produced by Dylan Fagan and is a production of iHeartRadio. Our theme song, Good Friend, is written, produced, and performed by Emily King. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places.